Hi there. Just letting all the listeners know that after this episode, I'm going to be taking a little break for the holidays. So if you want to support the show, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And also feel free to send me an email at anatomyofaverse at gmail.com. Thanks. There's a lot that's already been said about the subject of today's episode. It is, after all, maybe the most talked about and written about hip-hop verse of all time. But I'm not going to be spending a whole lot of time on the stuff that's already been covered, because most of that stuff is garbage, and I'll explain what I mean a little bit later. This verse is a brilliantly written love letter to the art of battle rapping, and to a time in hip-hop when competition was everything. Between the years 1986 and 2001, hip-hop was an exciting musical battleground for top-tier MCs like KRS-One, Ice Cube, Corrupt, Eminem, and of course the kings of New York, Jay-Z and Nas. And just like in sports, competition served not just to entertain the customers, but also to elevate the whole art form. Remember, there was no Twitter or Instagram back then, so if you were a rapper and someone disrespected you, then you had to respond in the form of music. And when it came to diss records, if you didn't put in your hours and bring your absolute 100% A-game, then there was a good chance that you were going to get embarrassed in front of all of your fans. So this forced rappers to be, at all times, both technically precise and conceptually innovative. But, like a lot of hip-hop's foundational elements, by the mid-2000s, battle rapping and overt competition had all but faded away from the music entirely. When Kanye West and 50 Cent sparked up a feud in 2007 that turned out to be nothing more than a huge marketing ploy, the era of competitive rap was effectively over. But about five years later, on August 13th, 2013. If you were on social media, then there was a good chance that you saw an explosion of posts and comments about a 26-year-old rapper from Compton, California named Kendrick Lamar and his frenzied plea for hip-hop to reclaim its former spirit. Welcome to Anatomy of a Verse, the podcast that examines rap music and hip-hop culture one verse at a time. I'm Max Maples, And today we're talking about Kendrick Lamar's guest verse on Big Sean's 2013 song, Control. Here's a little story that must be told. It's a music that is all beat and talk. It's rap music. We don't do that in my music, man. I'm tired of you saying that. Yeah, how about the gang rape on you? But when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. You had a, a rap singer here last night. Named Sister Soldier. And they, they, they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. It's not actually a form of music, it's a, it's a form of rhythmic speed. You have murdered a rock, I injured a stone, and a hospital lies a brick. I'm so bad I make medicine sick. No ID is a hip-hop producer and mentor from Chicago who's been making beats professionally for a very long time, since the 80s. And He's responsible for elevating the careers of rap legends like Common, Kanye West, and J. Cole, just to name a few. 
In an interview with Complex magazine, No ID said beginning around 2011, he had been, quote, on a hip-hop crusade to try and bring that energy back that was not present, end quote. So while he was working on Big Sean's album, A Hall of Fame, he approached Sean with a beat that was a bit different from the others. That pitched-up vocal sample, if you can't tell, is someone shouting in Spanish, El Pueblo Unido Jamás Será Vencido, which translates to The People United Will Never Be Defeated. El Pueblo Unido Jamás Será Vencido El Pueblo Unido Jamás Será Vencido This chant comes from a massively popular Chilean protest song of the same name, written in the 70s after a military coup assisted by the CIA plunged Chile into a brutal 17-year dictatorship. And most importantly, this sample captures a moment of desperation. No ID said, quote, I felt like Sean needed to do some straight, hardcore hip-hop records. Sometimes we focus so much on selling records that we leave some artistic points uncovered, end quote. This suggestion was the seed that would eventually grow into the song that we now know as Control. The song Control didn't actually wind up on Big Sean's album because, according to Big Sean, they were unable to clear the sample in time. And to this day, the song has still never been officially released, meaning you can't buy it anywhere. But it was handed off to New York City radio DJ Funk Master Flex, who put it on his Hot 97 radio show and on his website the evening of August 12, 2013. And almost immediately, people on social media began reacting. And they were reacting specifically to Kendrick Lamar's guest verse. As more and more people reacted, more and more people listened, until eventually the entire online hip-hop ecosystem was alive and buzzing. Now, Kendrick was technically a newcomer, but he was by no means unknown. He had already released the universally praised album Good Kid Mad City, which is now considered a classic. And one of the things that made Kendrick so exciting to listen to was the way he would take older hip-hop traditions and expand on them in ways that had never been done before. We see a great example of this in the introduction to this verse. But first, let's have a little talk about introductions in general. In rap music, an introduction happens typically in the first four or eight bars of a verse. When the beat strips down, the energy level of the song drops, and the MC gets this large space to set the stage for what is to come. This is the song Lose Yourself by Eminem, which probably contains the most famous long-form introduction of any rap song. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on his sweater already, mom's spaghetti, he's nervous. Notice how this introduction builds dramatic tension that finally releases in a very satisfying way once the beat finally drops. 
he's choking how? Everybody's choking now, the clock's run out, time's up, over, plow. Snap back to reality, oh, there goes round. Kendrick Lamar isn't going to use his introduction to build musical tension quite like that. Instead, he's going to create a sound world that is completely different from the main part of his verse. And he's going to do it in two ways. Number one, by using language that cryptically hints at what the verse is actually about. And number two, by using a combination of vocal delivery and vocal effects that almost make it sound like there's a group of people in prayer or meditation. Miscellaneous minds, never explaining the minds. Devilish grin for my alias, aliens who respond, peddling sin, thinking maybe when you get old, you realize I'm not gonna fold the demise. Miscellaneous minds are never explaining their minds. Devilish grin for my alias, aliens to respond. When he says alias, aliens, he's talking about his characters, his personas, the voices that he uses when he raps. And yes, Kendrick Lamar is most definitely a character rapper, but we'll get into that a little bit later. For now, the first four bars can be seen as a grand statement on behalf of hip-hop that the culture, despite sometimes peddling sin or promoting a lifestyle of immorality, will never fold or demise with the passage of time. This line, I don't smoke crack, motherfucker, I sell it, could be a reference to a line from a 1997 Eminem freestyle. Kendrick continues through the introduction with a series of lines that all have something to do with hip-hop's relationship to drugs. At first, he appears to be glorifying drug dealing over drug using, as well as suggesting that his music is as addictive as a quarter piece or quarter of an ounce of crack cocaine. Now, crack cocaine, of course, was the subject of many rap lyrics in the 90s, but it doesn't pop up nearly as much in rap songs from the 2010s. So these lyrics are, in a sense, a reference to that older time period. And when he says, don't you pop me no fucking pill, he seems to be taking a negative stance on other substances like ecstasy and prescription drugs. Let's listen to that once more, and this time, I'll keep it going. Now, before we get into any lyrics, let's talk about how Kendrick makes that shift from the introduction to the main section of the verse. It's not just that he's putting more intensity into his voice or simply rapping louder. He's actually fundamentally changing the timbre of his voice, much like a voice actor would on a TV show or movie when switching between two characters. And if you were an early fan of Kendrick's, then you knew that he loved using different voices and characters, particularly at that stage in his career when he was showing up as a guest artist on dozens of songs 
it was impossible to guess what kind of crazy voice or style he might bring to any given verse. Let's listen to one example from a verse that came out a few months after Control. This is the remix to the Imagine Dragons song, Radioactive. And coming up here, he's going to seamlessly transition between four or five different distinct voices or characters. And unlike other rappers like Eminem or Nicki Minaj, Kendrick didn't refer to these characters as alter egos or give them specific names, but they are characters all the same, and they are used to express different and sometimes even contradictory perspectives. Even though the specific voice and delivery that he uses on Control doesn't really show up on any other song just like that, there are a few examples that come kind of close. So we can take a look at those real quick and it'll help us understand what this voice means to him and give us some extra context beyond just the meaning of the lyrics. Here's a quick clip from his verse on the 50 Cent song, We Up. And now a little bit from Pusha T's song, Nostalgia, which I should mention is also a song about remembering the crack era. Basically, anytime he puts on that gravelly tone, he's channeling youthful anger and the hostile atmosphere of his hometown in Compton. This is a voice that represents an unwillingness to compromise and a shameless tunnel vision approach to problem solving. So now that we know a little more about this voice or this character, Let's get into the real meat and potatoes of this verse. In these four bars, he's showing us four different uses of the word bomb. First off, he says, tell Flex to drop a bomb on this shit. This is a reference to DJ Funk Master Flex, one of the most successful and recognizable hip-hop radio DJs of all time. Born in the South Bronx in 1968, Flex grew up in the middle of New York City's hip-hop revolution. And in 1992, he began hosting the city's most popular and influential hip-hop radio show on the station Hot 97. The same radio show that, over 20 years later, premiered this song. Funkmaster Flex is known for his very recognizable, high-pitched, raspy voice and for his bomb explosion sound effect 
that he loves to use when he's premiering brand new songs for his listeners. Jay-Z, Kanye West! You <laughs> Pecos, what up, baby? Young Sav, I see you. John Manili, I see you. Kendrick clearly thinks that his verse is worthy of Flex dropping the bomb. He continues saying, ring the alarm like Vietnam on this shit suggesting he's going to cause a commotion similar to that of an air raid siren. This could also be a reference to the 1985 early dancehall hit song Ring the Alarm by Tenor Saw. Ring the alarm, and not a sound is dying. Whoa, hey, ring the alarm, and not a sound is dying. Whoa, hey. Ring the Alarm is also a song about musical competition, although not competition between rappers, but between Jamaican sound system DJs. And this song was sampled and referenced by a bunch of prominent rappers in the 90s, like Fat Joe, Bone thugs and harmony Graham Pooba, Naughty by Nature, and even Kendrick's favorite rapper of all time, Tupac. Once again, by evoking this reference, along with the image of Funk Master Flex dropping the bomb, Kendrick is taking us back in time to the 90s. A time when the United States of America, under President George H.W. Bush, was trying to orchestrate the ousting of the president of Iraq, Saddam Hussein which drew criticism from some African-American Muslims, like the minister Louis Farrakhan. Hence the line, so many bombs make Farrakhan think that's Saddam in this bitch. And finally, in the fourth usage of the word bomb, Kendrick talks about seducing his opponent's mother while she's on daycare duty. This is another way of saying that Kendrick is way above his opponent's maturity level. Let's listen to those four bars again, and this time, I'll keep it going. Tell Flex to drop a bomb on this shit. So many bombs win the alarm like Vietnam on this shit. So many bombs make Farrakhan think that's a dime in this bitch. One at a time, I line them up and bomb on their mom when she watching the kids. I'm in a destruction mode if the gold exists. I'm in Poland like the Pope. I'm a Muslim on poke. I'm Machiavelli's offspring. I'm the king of New York, king of the coast. One hand, I juggle them both. Now, if you've watched any YouTube videos or read any articles about this verse, there are two moments that are going to be brought up inevitably, and this is one of them. He says, I'm Machiavelli's offspring, I'm the king of New York, king of the coast, one hand, I juggle them both. Machiavelli was an alter ego used by Tupac, a rapper that Kendrick has always felt a spiritual connection towards. But more shockingly, Kendrick, who is from Los Angeles, is apparently calling himself the King of New York. If you were old enough to remember the East Coast-West Coast rivalry that claimed the lives of Biggie and Tupac, then understandably this might have struck a nerve. But Kendrick didn't see it that way. So people kind of was like, man, he's saying he's the King of New York. Yeah. What, 
Can you explain th- what does those words mean? I think that's the case right there. I maybe have to dump down my lyrics just a little bit. <laughs> um, you didn't get it. The, yeah, yeah. The, the irony of that, of that line is um, the people that actually understood it and, and got it was the actual kings of New York. You know, me sitting down with him this past week and them understanding that it's not about actually being the king of, of whatever coach. It's about being leaving a mark as great as Biggie, as great as Pac. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to make it into a whole other situation, but for the most part, it's about how great I want to be at the end of the day. You know, and nobody's going to stop me. However, I want to go across and saying it, that's how I'm going to say it. A lot of people like to misconstrue it and take it somewhere else. No, I was actually paying homage. You know, to the fallen soldiers that lost their lives at the end of the day over this music and inspired to be better than that, you know, at least come close. Now, what I love about it... And there's a little bit more to this King of New York lyric still. Kendrick is actually quoting another West Coast rapper, the one and only Corrupt. It's hard to survive, nigga, or the high where you stay. I'm important like the Pope. I'm the king of New York. I'm live from South Central. I'm a Muslim on pork. Corrupt, the world's fetish. They fiend and scratch. Not surprisingly, Corrupt is a battle rapper who made his mark on hip-hop primarily between the years 1992 and 1999. And he's also responsible for one of the greatest diss records of all time. He's what we call a rapper's rapper. Even though he almost never shows up on top 10 lists, he's been mentioned by many of today's top MCs like Eminem and Andre 3000, as being one of their biggest influences. And Kendrick is a huge corrupt fan. He once wrote an entire song called Corrupted, in which, like a homework assignment, he did his best to mimic corrupt's intricate tongue twister style of rapping. Now, moving forward, we're going to see some impressive first-syllable internal rhyming. He plays off the line, one hand I juggle them both, and continues, this juggernaut's all in your jugular if you take me for jokes. One hand I juggle them both, the juggernaut's all in your juggler, you take me for jokes. Live in the basement, church pews and funeral faces, cardio bracelets for my women friends I'm in Vegas. When he says, live from the basement, church pews, and funeral faces. The word basement here might represent the underground or less popular aspects of hip-hop culture. Or it could represent the darker, often ignored corners of American neighborhoods where comfort from violence and poverty usually comes either from rap music or church pews. And the term funeral faces serves as a reminder that hip-hop has always grown organically from these communities where funerals happen far more often than they should, especially funerals for young men. But right after celebrating hip-hop as this communal experience for marginalized peoples, he then does a complete 180 and starts bragging about the expensive jewelry that he likes to buy for his girlfriends. You take me for jokes, live in the basement, church pews and funeral faces, cardio bracelets for my women friends, I'm in Vegas. Who the fuck y'all thought it's supposed to be? This juxtaposition of rags and riches is something we get a lot in 90s rap lyrics. Jay-Z, Nas, Notorious B.I.G. all effectively made careers out of being able to illustrate that paradox between growing up and representing a crime-ridden neighborhood while also 
celebrating the wealth and luxury that could come from that same crime. Kendrick continues by letting everyone know that his aggression and his drive can't be tamed, even by the greatest basketball coach of all time. Women friends, I'm in Vegas. Who the fuck y'all thought it's supposed to be? If Phil Jackson came back, still no coaching me. I'm uncoachable, I'm unsociable. Fuck y'all clubs, fuck y'all bitches. Show Instagram, get gobble these nuts. Gobble a dick up to your hiccup, my big homie corrupt. And after all these references to 90s hip-hop values, it seems now that maybe Kendrick doesn't think that social media is totally compatible with these values. He says, fuck y'all pictures, your Instagram can gobble these nuts. And then he mentions corrupt, this time specifically by name, when he says, gobble a dick up till you hiccup, my big homie corrupt. And this line is probably a reference to corrupt's verse on Dr. Dre's 1999 song, Explosive. Fuck a bitch, don't tease bitch, strip tease bitch, eat a bowl of these bitch, gobble a dick. Next, Kendrick says, this the same flow that put the rap game on a crutch, implying that just like his idols before him, Kendrick is fully prepared to do serious damage to the hip-hop status quo. And after that, he marks the midway point of this verse with what is basically an unaccompanied ad-lib, his voice just saying the word West over and over again. On one hand, it's a nice reminder that Kendrick is representing the West Coast, but on a purely musical level, it gives the listener a little breather and allows us to prepare for what's about to come next, because Kendrick is about to go off on a sharp series of critiques and challenges aimed at a whole bunch of people. Got more dick up to your hiccup, my big homie corrupt. This the same flow that put the rap game on the crutch. West, 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 West. I see niggas transform like villain Decepticons. Molly's probably turn these niggas to fucking Lindsay Lohan. A bunch of rich ass white girls looking for parties, playing with Barbies, wreck the push before you give them the car key. This was not the first time that Kendrick had criticized the drug MDMA, also known as Molly. And because Molly is a drug taken in pill form, we can assume this is probably what he was talking about in that introduction when he said, don't you pop me no fucking pill. He had suggested a few times in his career that mainstream rappers were only talking about popping Molly in order to sell records to more white people. And that by pretending to adopt this outside trend that wasn't organically part of hip hop, they were, quote, watering down the culture. He worries that those same rappers are transforming into spoiled, bratty children. And he compares them to the actress Lindsay Lohan, who had publicly battled addiction and a year earlier totaled her Porsche on the Pacific Coast Highway. And after that, he then compares himself to the Beatles and the Marley family. Rich ass white girls looking for parties, playing with Barbies, wreck the push before you give them the car key. Judge me to the monarchy, blessings to Paul McCartney. You call me a black beetle, I'm either that or a Marley. When he says that he's either a beetle or a Marley, there is a racial implication here, but it's not totally made clear until we hear the next two lines, one of which we've already heard before. You call me a black beetle, I'm either that or a Marley. Smoke crack, motherfucker, I sell it. I'm dressed in all black. This is not for the fan of Elvis. I'm aiming straight for your 
And this echoes Chuck D's famous line from the 1989 Public Enemy song, Fight the Power. Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me as he straight out racist the sucker was simple and plain. Motherfucking in John Wayne. Cause I'm black and I'm proud already. Chuck D would later walk back that statement about Elvis being a racist, and rightly so. Elvis loved and respected black musicians, and they loved and respected him back. But nevertheless, Elvis has become a symbol of America's willingness to forget that black people invented rock and roll. Similarly, Paul McCartney also achieved most of his early success by covering and drawing from the music of black Americans. In combination, These lines are all hinting at what is at stake, what could be lost if hip-hop doesn't cherish its core cultural values. And coming up, he's going to make the case for one of those key values, the spirit of competition. He says, Bitch, I've been jumped before you put a gun on me. Bitch, I put one on yours. I'm Sean Connery. James Bond him with none of you. For Kendrick, in this verse, the fight to be heard and the fight to survive are one and the same. That is to say, he's making the argument that rap music does not elevate itself through hand-holding and compliments, but rather through triumphs and embarrassments or competition. And Kendrick is about to continue this argument in the most aggressive way possible. The barbershops being great debates all the time About who's the best MC, Kendrick, Jigger, and Nas Eminem, Andre 3000, the rest of y'all New niggas, just new niggas, don't get involved Kendrick is saying that his top five rappers alive are himself, Jay-Z, Nas, Eminem, and Andre 3000 And that anyone who isn't on that list shouldn't even bother trying And once again, this line is a quote Not from Corrupt this time, but from Jay-Z, off the 1997 track, Where I'm From. Where I'm From by Jay-Z is also a song about hip-hop authenticity, about being from the streets and being true to the culture. So Kendrick follows this up by saying he's done wearing name-brand clothing designed by famous people who have nothing to do with the streets. Instead of trying to fit in with celebrities and fashion elites, Kendrick from now on will only be rocking plain white t-shirts and Nike Cortez sneakers, the official shoes of Los Angeles gang culture in the 80s and 90s. Niggas just new niggas, don't get involved And I ain't rocking no more designer shit White tees and Nike Cortez, this red Corvette's anonymous I'm usually homeboys with the same niggas I'm rhyming with But this is hip-hop and them niggas should know what time it is Now, this is the other part of this verse that made it into all the articles and YouTube videos Kendrick is about to name a list of 11 other rappers Rappers who, in 2013, were all at or around the peaks of their careers. 
Not necessarily young rappers, but rappers who all had something more to prove to the world. And while he does express a degree of love and respect for them, he also makes sure to let them know that he's not afraid to embarrass them. This would strike a nerve particularly for the other two rappers on this song, Big Sean and Jay Electronica, both of whom are mentioned in the list. Pusha T, Meek Mills, ASAP Rocky, Drake, Big Sean, J. Electron, Tyler McMiller. I got love for you all, but I'm trying to murder you niggas. And this was not Kendrick's first time calling out fellow rappers by name, either. Back in 2010, he released a freestyle over Kanye West's Monster Beat. I'm the best rapper alive. I'm the best rapper alive. Jacob and Shooter would die. I'm going after Kanye. Loop if he asked me when I'm Snoop Dogg and Mr. Andre. And when them bust up a spot, y'all better bust no more rocks. I'm going to stop busting your ass. Hit you up with a metric, truck, then throw a bust on your ass. Y'all be no action. But while the Monster Freestyle is very impressive and exciting, it doesn't have the singular focused mission statement, nor the expert pacing from beginning to end that the control verse has. Notice how the pitch of Kendrick's voice gets to its highest point in the whole verse while he's calling out these other rappers. He specifically set the whole verse to build up to this point so that everyone would hear it and know exactly what he was saying and who he was talking about. And right after he puts all of his contemporaries on notice, he ends the verse by delivering exactly what he just promised, expertly crafted battle raps at a high speed. There are two references I want to mention from this last section. Although he never mentions Eminem specifically here, these last 16 bars have Eminem written all over them. This crazy scenario of an old man, drunk as fuck, trying to land a G5 jet with a non-functioning leg might remind us a little bit of Eminem back in 1999, who was also drunk as fuck trying to park a car. I'm harder than me trying to park a Dodge, but I'm drunk as fuck, right next to a humongous truck in a two-car garage, hopping out with two broken legs trying to walk it off. Kendrick's also using this style of delivery where the phrases flow right into each other without taking any breaks, and just about every beat in the measure is being taken up by a syllable. He even adds an extra syllable to the word arthritis to add to this effect. If we combine that delivery with the outlandish storytelling, then we have vintage Eminem right there. Granddad is the pilot, he drunk as fuck, trying to land with a handful of arthritis and popping prosthetic leg, bumping pock in the cockpit, so the shit that pops in his head is an option of violence, someone heard the steward. The second reference comes when he says, bumping pock in the cockpit, so the shit that pops in his head is an option of violence. In the early 90s, Tupac Shakur was indirectly blamed for the deaths of two police officers. In one case, a 19-year-old had been listening to the album Tupacalypse Now in his car before killing a Texas state trooper. 
In a separate case in Milwaukee, a lawyer argued that Tupac's, quote, violent anti-police lyrics appeared to have acted as command hallucinations, end quote. So when Kendrick is at his most technical, he's still staying on message by sneaking in these references to 90s-era hip-hop champions. Let's listen one last time. I don't know what era everybody else come from, but when I, I, I listened, man, like, I love it to a point I can't even describe it, you know? And when I heard these artists say they're the best coming up, I said, I'm not doing it to have a good song. Mm or one good rap, I want to hold myself high on that same pedestal. This, right. is, this is culture. This is not something you just play with, you know, get some few dollars and get out. You know, people live their lives to this music. Hmm. And you have to take in consideration what you write down on that paper. And if hmm. you're not doing it to say the most impactful shit, or doing it to be the best you can be, for the listener to live their daily lives, then what, 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 what are we doing here? Now, there's a popular media narrative about this verse, that it was incredibly disruptive and ignited these angry debates all across the country. XXL wrote that Kendrick shook the rap world to its core. Complex called it the shot heard round the world. MTV wrote, rappers are really grappling with their emotions after hearing Kendrick Lamar's verse. And just about every single outlet at some point used the word controversial. I'm here to say on the record that this narrative is flat out wrong. Yes, there were a small handful of salty individuals, but of course that happens in any competitive environment. You wouldn't call a sports team winning a championship match controversial. You wouldn't call a boxer knocking out another boxer controversial. Kendrick wasn't breaking or even bending any of the rules. He was just playing the game better than everyone else, plain and simple. Here's Brooklyn rapper Fabulous, specifically addressing that King of New York line we talked about earlier. You know, I had mixed feelings at first. I thought it was, you know, kind of something that he shouldn't have said, and we, you know, you had to address it. But, uh, you know, after, you know, speaking to some some of the OGs and, you know, getting some research behind it and figuring it out, you know, I, I had more of an understanding of it. On the surface, you know, everybody just was in shock to him saying that, so it was pretty, you know, even people was in shock at him uh, saying some other people's names on the songs. But, you know, those were all people that he... Uh, he did songs with. So he was basically saying, like, these are all my friends, these are all guys. I have a lot of respect for them because I'm even doing a song with them. But when I get on a song with them, I'm trying to outdo them. You know what I'm saying? And that's basically what he was saying. And that's, that's the competition of, you know, making music or, you know, competing in anything you do, you know? And while 95% of hip-hop fans and artists, including just about every artist named in the song, were celebrating this 
as a moment for hip-hop, journalists, content creators, and shameless attention seekers were reminding us why we can't have nice things. Because for maximum effect, maximum clickbait, and of course maximum profit, competition in hip-hop has to be associated with the possibility of violence. And this is a problem because when the media inserts this idea into the public, it catches on and it creates unnecessary violence, which is exactly what happened in the 90s. But now that we've poured over this verse, we understand that violence has nothing to do with it. Sure, this verse is, in a sense, a declaration of war, but not against a group of people. It's a declaration of war against ideas and interests that are slowly chipping away at hip-hop's core values and principles. It's a rallying cry, a blueprint for how to go forward, a declaration of independence for a cultural movement that has always been defined by conflict and oppression. Anatomy of a Verse is created by me, Max Maples, in Brooklyn, New York. This episode is dedicated to Tupac Shakur, who was killed in 1996. I'm going to be taking a little break after this episode. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, please send me an email at anatomyofaverse at gmail.com. And as always, thanks for listening.